Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Well, I've got a question just to start us off today. Have you ever lost anything really important? Marbles, dignity, great answers. Um, I'd like to tell you a story about something that happened to my mum a few months ago. Um, So my mum was driving home, I believe, and she did that thing. Apparently a bunch of people do it. I don't really understand it, but if you need to remind yourself of something like later in the day, then if you wear rings, you move the ring from one finger to another. Does anyone else do that? Anyone? No? Just my mum, just my mum. All right. So, So that's her method of like, if she's got something and she's like, oh, I know I'm going to forget that because I forget things all the time. I'm going to move my, my ring to the other finger just as like a reminder. So later on, I'll be like, why is that there? Oh, yeah. Apparently it works. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so that's what she did. She moved her engagement ring to the wrong finger as she was driving home. And she got home and unloaded the car, got Joseph inside, going around, doing her thing inside. And at some point, she realized that her engagement ring wasn't on her finger anymore. And uh, I think we've got a picture of the engagement ring, just in case you wanted to see what it looks like. That's it. That's it there. So, so this is not a little engagement ring that, that mum got from dad when, well, when he proposed, I suppose. But so she, uh, she had that on the wrong finger, lost it, right? And so she's retracing her steps. She, uh, she's scanning like the path from the car to the, to the front door, couldn't see it on the ground there. She looked in the car. It wasn't in the car anywhere, not under the seat or anything like that. So then she starts checking, like, okay, did I put it down on, like, the table or dressing table or bench or desk or anywhere like that? She couldn't find it. Joseph had no idea where it was. Joseph's my little brother. I say little brother. He's like, anyway. Um, so she's looking, right, and she's searching. And, and as she's searching, she, she's, the more she can't find it, the, the harder she has to look, right, which makes sense. But then she's looking like down the back of the couch, underneath the seats, under the bed, just behind everything that it might have fallen down behind. She couldn't find it. And then she had a thought. There's like three quarters of her house is surrounded by this this decking. And she thought, as I went inside, maybe it fell down between the planks in the decking. So she pulled up the decking, ladies and gentlemen, just to have a look, see if it was in there. It wasn't there. So then she got a metal, I don't even know where you got a metal detector from, but she got a metal detector and she's scanning like out the front of the house, up and down the driveway. It's a big driveway as well. And she's just looking for this ring, couldn't find it anywhere. And then she had an even more concerning thought. You know, when you you go to the toilet and you reach under to wipe, what if it, whatever. Can't make the noise. But what if it fell in the toilet and got flushed down the toilet? And she's like, oh, great. That wouldn't be fun. But there's that S-bend, right? Right behind the... Everyone knows the, the S-bend pipe behind the toilet. She thought, maybe, maybe there's a chance it got stuck in there. So she removed the toilet. I didn't know you could do that. My mum just pulled the toilet off from the wall. She searched in there, and in there she found no ring. <laughs> and she had to put the toilet back. But then she didn't stop there. She dug up, what's it called? Like the the septic. She dug up the septic to look through there. Still no ring. Was it the septic? The pipes. All right. So she metal detected the, the, the septic pipes. Anyway, no ring. 
20 days later, still no ring. Almost got to three weeks, not quite. She ended up finding it, fortunately. It's a happy ending. It was on this shelf above eye height in Joseph's cupboard. She must have moved something and it rolled off her finger down to the back, but she's got it now. It's a happy ending. All is well for the ring. Oh, dear. It reminds me of that parable of the woman with, the, like, the ten coins and she's just searching. That's my mum. She's just, yeah, oh, man. But I'm sure we've each got something in our lives that needs to be found. And so this morning I wanted to talk about searching. And I've kind of compiled the scripture and stories and analogies and things, and they're all kind of pointing to this idea of searching. And I think it's actually really important because... Like, we've each got things in our lives that need to be found. And I'm going to kind of explain that as we go today. And, you know, I'm sure we've each got a story about something going missing, whether it's valuables, whether it's just losing money, whether it's losing respect, losing a job, losing friends, even losing family. We've each got some kind of story. And for God, that was humanity. He lost us to sin. And he went all out to get us back. He, he gave everything. He gave his own son to get us back. And I'm pretty sure mum wasn't at the point of getting, like, swapping Joseph for the ring. I hope she wasn't at the point where she was going to give me for the ring. But, but God was. He gave his son to get us back. And Jesus wasn't even like a bad kid. He was the perfect son. Same nature, same substance as his father. God had no motivating factor to give him up except that he just loved us. And it worked. We're saved. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Amazing. But what I want to encourage us today is that it's not all on him, that we actually play a part. Not in salvation, right? That's that's sorted. Jesus brought that. All we need to do is accept it. But we have a role to play in the journey back to intimacy with the Father. And so I'm wanting to read to you today, to tie this back into Songs in the Key of Life, um, I want to read a psalm, which I think is, is just this beautiful, challenging, dangerous, life-changing psalm, Psalm 139. And... Um, A lot of you probably have heard it, or at least parts of it, and I'm sure you'll recognize it as I get into it. But before we start in the scripture, I'd love to pray that God would just be speaking to us this morning. So if you bow your heads with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you right now, God. I want to just put aside all my thoughts and all my planning and just say, you have your way today, God. Just, I want, I just ask you to speak through me today. And and Holy Spirit, I know that you are speaking to each person here. So God, we just ask that you would help us to be open to your spirit, open to what you have to say to us today, that we may be receptive to what you have for us in this place this morning. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, Psalm 139 has 24 verses. um, And it splits actually really nicely into four sections, uh, each with six verses. And it kind of looks at these four different aspects. And so I'd like to start with the first section, just verses 1 to 6, which says this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit 
and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Straight away, David is showing that there's something different about our God. There's something special about our God. The language he's using is about, it's, it's describing someone intentionally examining and paying close attention, noticing and focusing. And not only just understanding facts about us, but actually drawing close. And, and, and that verse where it says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me, it's kind of describing like a hug, that our God just embraces us, coming close just to understand us better, just to know us more. He knows about us. He knows us. He understands and he cares. And I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I feel like no one understands me. And normally whenever I'm like angry or frustrated or annoyed, it comes down to the fact like I feel like the other person doesn't understand me. Like, oh man, if you just, if you'd listen to my side, if you'd, if you'd see it from my perspective, then you'd understand. Like, but you just don't understand me and that's why there's an issue. It's not my fault, obviously. <laughs> but you know, like I feel like we've all had these times where we feel like nobody understands, but God does. God understands you. He understands what you're going through. And it's tricky because usually when we're in that state of frustration or annoyance or whatever, we don't feel like being loved. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But like when, when the going gets tough, I try to be tougher. Like I try, to, I try to show that I can do it on my own because it hurts my pride to admit that I can't. And so, yeah, so when God understands comes along and he cares I find it frustrating I don't know about you but there's this this story that I'd like to share just to kind of illustrate that when I was about seven years old uh, we used to go down to St Kilda Adventure Park a lot anyone been to St Kilda Adventure Park heck yeah it's amazing there's a castle there's a pirate ship there's all these like slippery dips and there's these tunnels and there's swings and merry-go-rounds there's a merry-go-round swing that's just amazing so many broken arms have happened at St. Kilda Adventure Park. Man, it's amazing. But uh, this one time, I was in the castle, right, and there's this slippery dip that kind of it shoots down and then it skims along at ground level for a while before ending. And, and I was, like, slipping down this thing. I was having a great time. And then there's this other kid. I didn't know him. And he's making his way across in front of me. And I don't know if he didn't see me or if he just misjudged how fast I was going. But as I'm sliding down, he jumped across and my face slammed into his foot as he went past, and he kind of just, like, kept running. But my nose is bleeding, my eyes are streaming, like, I'm stumbling to my feet and trying to, like, figure out what's going on. And I just, I look up, and there's just all these, like, parents just kind of staring at me, like, whose kid is this? Like, what do we do? And I was just, like, man, like, overwhelmed by all these strangers. And then this one lady just kind of stepped out from the crowd. She came up to me, and she just looked nice. You know how some people just look nice? Like Jason and Laura Allen, they just look nice. Like you just see them and you're like, these people care. These are lovely people. You can just tell. I don't know what it is. But this lady came up to me and she just looked nice. And she came up and she said, hey. She she didn't crouch like this. But she came up and she was like, hey, it's okay. Let me help. 
And I was so mad. I don't think that's a reasonable response, but I was just mad. I was like, I'm fine. And I stormed off to find mum. And like, I just hated that she made me feel like I needed help. And I definitely did. I was a seven-year-old with a blood nose and probably a concussion. I needed help, but I just didn't want it from her, right? I wanted it from mum. And um, I found mum and she, I don't know if she knew the lady or whether they chatted afterwards, but it turns out that that lady was a nurse. Like she was actually the perfect person to help me out. She understood exactly what was going on. But I let my pride get in the way and I actually walked away from the person trying to help me. I just think how often do we do the same to God? How often do we shut him in when we really, sorry, we shut him out when we really need to let him in? And so my first point for you today is to let God in, we must put our pride aside. And uh, what does that have to do with searching? We'll find out at the end. But it kind of, it makes sense and it's easy to say, but it's tricky to put into practice. to to put our pride aside and let God in. But it can be as simple as just giving him space to love you each day. I don't know if you do that. If you just give him room to love you, whether you feel like it or not. And if you do feel like him loving you, that's great because he loves to love you. But if you don't feel like letting him love you, that's probably an area where you really need it. So, So that's just one way that we can put our pride aside. But David continues in verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Now, If everyone wants to check under your seats, go ahead, check under your seat. God is there. I'm glad you thought it was funny. I wasn't sure how that joke would go. We we were talking about this idea in Kids Shed the other week. And um, we're just kind of saying, you know, like, God is everywhere. Like, wherever you go, God's with you. Jesus is watching, like, watching out for you. And this one horrified child kind of cries out, even in the toilet? And it's like, yeah, like I can see how that kind of might make you feel a bit vulnerable. I remember as a kid, like having the same kind of concern whenever I got changed. I was like, is God watching me? Like, it's kind of weird. As if that would put him off somehow. As if God's innocent eyes were too holy for my vulgarity. Like, like you and I both know, like it's nothing he hasn't seen before, you know. He kind of invented it, so... That's not too bad. And we get used to it and we're like, yeah, okay, he loves me no matter what. He, he accepts me as I am. But something I feel like we still struggle with, I, I know I do, is that he sees our emotional nakedness. He knows how we really feel. He knows what we really think. He sees our spiritual nakedness, our true intentions, our deepest, darkest desires. He sees all the bad as well as all the good that we contain. He sees it all. And that makes you feel kind of vulnerable. Like, oh dear, maybe I shouldn't have thought that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But he sees all of it. He, he knows everything that's going on. And then as David continues into that kind of confusing language about the light and the dark, it reminds me of this passage in John 3, um, which is kind of talking about a, the same kind of theme. 
And it says this. These are Jesus' words from verses 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You can't hide from God. And I think often we discount ourselves from verses like that. We, we read it like light has come into the world, but other people loved darkness instead of light. Light has come into the world, but non-Christians loved darkness instead of light. But it says people, and that means us. That light came into the world and you and me loved darkness instead of light. It's pretty challenging. So often we, we try to conceal our sin or our weakness or the parts we feel like we need to hide from God. We try to like shove it all to the side, keep it in the dark. Just ignore it. Don't talk about it. Don't tell people about it. They're not even as forgiving as God. But just like it away and as long as, like yeah, God knows it's there, but as long as we don't think about it, then we don't have to admit that it's there. We don't have to think about actually, oh man, I should probably deal with that. Just keep it in the darkness, right? Safer that way. But what David is describing here is that the darkness doesn't hide it. And no matter where we run, God is still there watching out for us, caring for us, carrying us through. He's just always there for us. No matter what we hide, no matter where we go, he's always looking out for us. It's just, I don't even know exactly what it is. I guess it's just love. And why would David want to flee from God anyway? Why would anyone want to run from someone if they're that loving? But we've all got areas that we prefer to keep in darkness. And today, I just want to encourage you to bring those to light, to, to be vulnerable, to, to admit that, yeah, this is here. You know, that's actually in my heart, whether I like it or not. And just bring it to light, to be vulnerable and let God deal with it. And so that's point two for today is to let God in, we must be vulnerable. And that's kind of the halfway mark. Are we doing okay? All right. All right. He continues in verses 13 to 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Other versions say, how precious are your thoughts about me, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I just find so much reassurance in that passage that God's seen us at our worst and he's seen us at our best and he's going to see us through everything else that comes along. That no matter what happens, no matter where we go, he's just always going to be there. And I feel like as, as David kind of talks about, you know, you, you saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The, the image that comes to my mind is like this, this baby in the arms of a loving parent kind of thing. And I've actually got the definition of baby here. 
So a baby is an organism that lives in or on another organism, its host, and benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. I mean, it's actually the definition of a parasite, but basically the same thing, right? <laughs> Babies don't do anything. They just sit there and they, they, they leech off you, quite literally, and, like, they just take, you know, like, parasites, what's the difference? They just sit there, they kind of cry a lot. Apparently, sometimes they're asleep and you get a bit of a break. They don't look terrible, but neither do lice, really, you know, like... I don't hate babies. I can feel the, like the mothers especially just kind of glaring. But they don't do anything. Babies just take and they take and they take and they keep taking until they're not babies anymore. So they never really get retribution. Toddlers aren't too bad. But babies just take. They don't contribute to society. They don't pay taxes. And yet, a loving parent would die for their child. You know, like, you don't have to do anything for God to love you. You don't have to contribute at all. He loved you way before you were even capable of bringing anything along. Even when you don't deserve it, even like we can't earn it, but God just loves you. And I just, oh, David is such a brilliant writer as he just describes this. And the word he uses there when he says, you created my inmost being. That word created is actually the Hebrew word kanah. And what that word actually means, like there's an element of it that's talking about like building or piecing together. But there's this other element which is used kind of as a a transactional kind of term. It means acquired through purchase. And that kind of indicates that the moment that God created, even like the thought of you, that's when he committed to dying for you. That he was in it for the long run, from the very beginning. And he just loves you. And he always has. And he always will. And I guess that's just a father's love, you know. When I was a little younger, I I did Air Force Cadets. And we'd start at 6 o'clock on a Friday night and carry through to 10 p.m. And then I'd hang around as people kind of got picked up by parents and I'd help pack up and lock up. So I was out of there by maybe 10.30 And then me and some of the other leaders would go down to Hungry Jack's for for a bit of a chat and and some food, probably be there another hour. So it was normally like 11.30 at night that I'd start the half-hour journey home to my parents' house. And so it was like I'd be getting home about midnight, Friday night, Saturday morning, most nights. And every single time I got home, I'd pull into the driveway and without fail, the front light would be on. And I knew it was my dad because mum couldn't figure out the switches. There were like eight switches and they were like six of them led to different lights. Two of them didn't even do anything. But, but dad would always like he'd figure it out and he'd leave the light on for me. And there were two things about that that really stood out to me. Number one is that that front light was right outside my parents' bedroom window at the time. And so leaving that light on actually meant that the light was shining through their window into their eyes as they're trying to sleep. And the other thing that really stood out to me is that I didn't even need that light. Like most nights, the moonlight or the starlight was plenty for me to get from my car to the door. And I have like a phone with a torch on it anyway. So I didn't need that light. But without fail, it was on to welcome me home. And I brought it up with dad once. And I was like, look, like 
I, I notice you're leaving the light on. I really appreciate that. But, like, I don't actually need it. And I know it's bothering you while you're trying to get to sleep. And what he said was, don't worry about that. I can't sleep until you're home safe anyway. And I just, I feel like that's God's heart for us. That he can't rest until we're home safe. He just wants to welcome us home as we approach him, you know. He just, my dad cared so consistently. And he was like, he was great, but he was just a dude, you know. He was a flawed human. How much more does God care about us? How much more can we depend on him to be there every time we turn back? No matter how many times we get distracted or fall off the path, every time we turn back, he is there ready to welcome us home. Every time, without fail. To let God in, we must turn to him. Because we're always moving, but we move in the direction we face. We're not crabs. We move in the direction we face. So let's face him. Almost there. This last section, as, as David concludes this psalm, in verses 19 to 24, says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is that imprecatory bit that, that Tash was speaking about last week. And um, imprecatory is like a weird word to remember. So I just go by how Chris describes them as David's diss tracks. It's much easier to remember. Um, but it's the part, if I'm honest, I like to skip over. Like it's, it's a bit more mean. It doesn't seem as loving as, as the good bits, you know. But it's actually really, really important to remember that God is against evil. That darkness can't exist in light. And if God hates evil, we should hate evil too. But then, right at the end there, David writes, search me, God, and know my heart. And I find that odd, because right at the start of the psalm, he said, you have searched me, Lord. So, like, does he need to search him again? What's going on here? He's just, like, spent the whole psalm talking about, like, how God has never left him. God knows everything about him. And then he finishes with, search me again. Like, what benefit is there? Unless maybe God forgot everything about us. He has to check again. Or maybe it's not for God's benefit, but it's for ours. That when we allow God to search us, we actually give him room to uncover areas in our lives that we need to work on to actually bring those to our attention and say hey this isn't actually meant to be here you need to give that to me maybe some of that nature that David is so strongly going against here actually lives in us and that as David is crying out God slay the wicked maybe we should ask Jesus to slay the wicked in us to remove that from us. And that's why Jesus came, right? To take our sin. Like he did. But like I said at the start, we have a part to play. It's not all on him. We actually need to put our pride aside 
We actually need to be vulnerable. We actually need to turn to him. In other words, repent. We actually need to bring it to him and say, hey, you can have this. We actually need to let him search us. And so that's my final point today. To let God in, we must let him search us. And that's why I said at the beginning that this is such a challenging, powerful, dangerous, life-changing, beautiful psalm. Because when we genuinely ask him to search us, when we are open to him looking through everything going on in our lives, even the bits we don't want him to see, when we do that, something miraculous can happen, that we can be healed and forgiven in Jesus' name, that we can be freed of all the wickedness that we carry. You know, Jesus took that to the grave a long time ago. It's probably time we let go of the dead and take hold of the life that he has prepared for us. So I just want to encourage you as we kind of bring this to a close. Maybe he's bringing some things to mind right now. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know, yeah, like sometimes I I lie just to keep things in the darkness. Sometimes when I walk in here on a Sunday morning, I'm trying to just kind of, I feel like I'm pretending. Maybe I'm trying to convince everyone else that, yeah, I'm a good Christian person. I'm, I'm okay. I've got it all together. But you know, this place, you don't have to fear judgment. That's been taken for you. That you can actually be completely honest with God about what's going on. He knows it all already. I just want to encourage you to to bring that into the light, to let him search you. And maybe there's things you've been pushing down for so long, you've kind of forgotten they're even there. There's, I warn you, if you genuinely ask God to search you, he's going to see stuff you don't want him to. But there is nothing to fear in that and everything to gain. The freedom that comes with giving those things over to him to letting go of the chains that we thought were holding us down, those chains are broken. We're just holding on to them. We're carrying all this baggage. We're carrying all this pain. We can actually let that go. That word that David used at the very end of that psalm, when he says, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When he says offensive way, the word he actually used means two things. Idols and pain. And I feel like they're basically the same thing. That those areas that we're keeping apart from God, those idols that we're we're clinging on to, trying to hide away, that's the pain that we can let go of. That's the pain He wants to take. And we might feel like we only want to give good things to Him. But He actually wants that. He doesn't want you to carry that anymore. It's the stuff we feel like maybe we shouldn't give to him. That's probably the stuff we need to give to him the most. And so if you'd like to stand with me, we're going to pray. And we're just going to ask God to search us. And I encourage you to be genuine and be prepared for what he might find. I'm just going to ask that, that he would just take those things off of our lives, the things that might have been holding you down or holding you back or causing you pain. We're just going to ask that he just takes all of that right now. Let the Holy Spirit fill in that silence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we just ask 
Jesus, in your name, that, that God, you would come into our life, that you'd, you'd fill our hearts right now, God, and we just ask you to search us. God, we ask you to search us for all the things that we've been trying to keep in the dark, for all the things that we, we try to hide from you, that we try to hide from each other, that sometimes we try to hide from ourselves. All those things that cause us that guilt and that shame, God, we just ask that you would search us right now, that you would uncover the darkness, that your light would stream in, Lord, that you would fill us, God, with your spirit because we know where, where light is, dark cannot exist. That as you enter our lives, those things have to fall. So we just ask that you would search us now. And as David said, test us, know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. See if there is any idol in me. See if there is any pain in me. And take it, Lord. Lead me in the way everlasting. We just pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. And I'd encourage you guys, like, if you want to, if, if God's brought anything up, if the Holy Spirit's uncovered anything, pointed anything out, if you feel like anything I said today was aimed right at you, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. And, and if something's happened today, you can leave that between you and God. That's fine. But I know from personal experience that to share it with someone I trust actually really cements that in. And it shares the joy of the freedom. And it actually glorifies God. So I'd encourage you to share if something's happened in your life this morning. And we've got a prayer team up the back that would love to pray for you. Um, and just as we go back into worship, I just... Let's just glorify God in this place. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. See you after the service. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.